service. I found out a long time ago that uh, everybody's worldview changes 20 minutes after they eat lunch. So, so I'm going to keep that in mind and, uh, and try to be uh, mindful of the time and, and your endurance. But I would like us to uh, go back to our study of John and John chapter 2. We want to just uh, share a few thoughts about Christ's first miracle the first public miracle of Jesus Christ was, of course, changing the water into wine. Let us notice the first 11 verses and read them together. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine... The mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus uh, saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not from whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and notice, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now, in this uh, reading, we, we are met with uh, four conditions, aren't we? We're, we're, we're met with no wine, then we're met with new wine, then we're met with good wine, and uh, I want to tell you this afternoon about the best wine. John has chosen this miracle to reveal to us a portion of the glory of the Messiah, and how through his uh, power, through his uh, ability, he is able to change the nature of water and make it into something useful. This, uh, and, and there are many lessons that can be drawn from this reading, but I want to just bring to your mind the three things that Christ provides in salvation. He provides sufficiency, satisfaction, and salvation complete, not partial. Um, let's think about this in the, in the context of the miracle that Jesus performed on this occasion. The first thing I noticed is that uh, there's a picture here of a thirsty world, 
a thirsty world, in, in the realm of insufficient funds, in, in the realm of inadequate resources, in the realm of inability or insecurity, like the empty pots that uh, had uh, expended all of their resources. It, it's a picture in my mind of, of men by nature uh, portrayed by these pots that are made of clay, and which is hard, and, and now they're empty. Isn't that a description of a natural heart? A heart without the Spirit of God. It's, it's hard, and it's, it's empty. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 13, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst. You see, Jesus is providing his sufficiency and his satisfaction in contrast to what we find in the world. Empty water pots, empty, hard and empty. Vessels of clay. You know, we find many times in the New Testament where our bodies are referred to as vessels. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, he says, There's vessels of every kind in each house. There's vessels of gold and silver. There's vessels of, of uh, utility. And there's, there's vessels of uh, uh, dishonor in, in each house. And it, it just brings my, to my mind what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we bear a treasure in these earthen vessels. We have been giving something in Christ that we could find nowhere else. It's a treasure, and it's uh, of an, uh, inf- in infinite worth and value. But I want to notice something about... Uh, I want to notice something about these pots. Uh, you, you know, sometimes Christians are called cracked pots. But here, we're, we're, we're talking about very real pots that had a very real purpose in the Jewish economy. Because it makes mention of, after the manner of the purifying, verse 6, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Now, that, that translates to be about 30 gallons of water, you know, in each one of these pots. Now, that's, that's a lot of water. And, and, and what they uh, did with that water was to ceremonially wash before they would go to synagogue or before they would go to the temple, they would uh, do this ceremonial washing. And it was always external. Uh, It was cleaning the outside, as it were, of the body and clothing. So it's not uncommon to see these kind of pots in a Jewish home, especially in the first century. But this ceremonial cleansing of the exterior can never impact the cleansing that's needed on the interior. It's the heart that's the problem. We, we in our culture today, we, we talk about this, don't we? we? We talk about the meanness and the evil that is so rampant in our day. In fact, when I'm talking to agnostic people, uh, people that don't believe in any uh, truth or any uh, one, 
no, they're not exactly atheistic, but they're they're definitely uh, modernistic and progressive. And and they'll make statements like this. They'll say something like, "Well, preacher, <clears throat> you know, if there was a God, he would be good. And if a God is good, he would not allow evil." And because I look around me and see evil, I just don't believe there can be a God. I've heard that more than once. Men in natural environments, in natural understanding, uh, they converge on, on, on four issues mainly. If, you, if, you, if you're talking to people that don't know Christ that reject truth biblically. You'll find they'll talk to you about this. They'll talk to you about evil. They'll talk to you about justice. You know, the justice movement, uh, social justice. They'll talk to you about justice. They'll talk to you about love. What is love, right? Love. Uh, loving someone means that you let them do anything they want to whether it hurts them or other people or not. Uh, they're kind of love, right? And then they'll want to talk about this. And this is kind of amazing. They want to talk about forgiveness. Uh, what happens to me when I blow it? What, what happens to me when I do wrong? Uh, you, you know, these are, these are not Christian people. But they want to talk about these four main issues they want to talk about these empty water pots. Well, can I ask you a very simple question? Do you know any point in, Christ, in history where all four of these elements converge? All four of them. The evil of sin, the justice of a holy God, the unmerited love of a Savior through which He provides forgiveness at the cross. It's at the cross of Calvary where these elements of natural understanding find their greatest convergence. So Jesus is going to bring these things to bear uh, through, the, through His uh, miracles, through the signs that are a message of His sufficiency. They are a message of all that He is and what He provides. I want to notice with you that He said uh, uh, to fill these uh, pots with water, which I believe illustrates the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the washing of the Word. That's what we need to maintain. That's what we need to share with people. We need to share the truth with those around us that God providentially brings into our path. We need to, we need to make them to understand what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, that our sufficiency is of 
God. It's not of the Republican Party. It's not of the Democrat Party. It's not of uh, political or military uh, realm. Our sufficiency is of God. One of my favorite verses in Paul's writings is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when he asked the Lord to remove a thorn from the flesh. You remember that? And, and the answer was, My grace is sufficient for thee. See, the sufficiency of Christ to meet the need of the needy heart. That's what we need to bring as a message to our culture. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The water being changed to wine is truly miraculous. But can I tell you, if you're sitting there this afternoon and you're saying, well, I believe that miracles are past and that age is done and we we don't really uh, see much today. Well, let me tell you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this, this afternoon, you're a miracle of grace. You are a miracle. And, and isn't that amazing to think about? That He that can change the characteristics of natural water and make it into natural wine is also able to take a hard and stony heart and give a heart of tenderness toward His Word and truth. Ezekiel 36. See, see, God is able to do that. You can't as much as I'd like to, as much as you'd want to, give this to everybody and make everybody believe this truth for their own good and God's glory. You can't do that. Only God can save a sinner. But always remember that you are an instrument in His hand to bear witness to the sinner where the salvation is found. One beggar telling another beggar where the table is. Here in this parable, we find that sense of a miracle working. You know, it's interesting in my mind, I don't know how you think about but it's interesting to think about this, that the first miracle that Moses, uh, that God performed through Moses was to turn water into blood. Back over there in Exodus chapter 7, verse 19. Remember, he, the, the Nile was turned into blood because that's expressive of judgment. But look at the contrast. Jesus turns water into wine. And not just wine, not just wine good wine. Nurturing wine. And that reminds us of God's grace. Well, this is the beginning of miracles and, it, and what he's doing, he's demonstrating the deity of Christ. Turning water into wine reminds us of the miracle of salvation. Healing the nobleman's, son's, uh, uh, nobleman's son uh, reminds us of salvation through faith. Healing the paraplegic uh, man, 37 years um, uh, as a paraplegic, couldn't move. Reminds us of God's grace. All of these various signs and miracles are just showing us the sufficiency, satisfaction, and saving work that only Christ is able to do in our behalf. 
common things under the blessings of the master can accomplish great things. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, great events are like large doors that hinge on small points, small hinges. We say we're a small church, but God can do great. God can open great doors with a small church. We've got to keep that in our mind and rejoice in the sufficiency of our God. So when we think about no wine, we see a picture of useless vessels. <laughs> apart from God's Spirit, apart from God's grace, we're useless. But when we see new wine, we're mindful of the miracle-working power of God in the life of every believer, filling us with His Spirit and the Word of His truth. And the good wine, I believe, is uh, uh, symbolic of, of useful and meaningful lives. You know, children, that's what I like to remind children of. God has a work for you. God has a reason for you being here. God is able to use your life and your talents to benefit His people and to further His kingdom. So it's good wine that is produced in every believing heart. But let me close this afternoon's study with reminding us of the best wine. I believe the best wine is yet to come. I believe the best wine is the future reality that we do have in our risen, resurrected, and returning Savior. I'm mindful of what Solomon said in Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 2. He said, Thy love is better than wine. The best wine is the wine of the eternal kingdom that I believe all of the elect family out of all the nations of the world in all periods of time are going to be gathered together, never to be severed again. I think about that in the term uh, back over in Revelation 19 at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I think about that in, that in that context, the great rejoicing that there is in a wedding, the, the banqueting, the banquet. You know, Solomon said, uh, the Lord brought me to His banqueting house and His banner over me was what? Was love. You see, the message of Christ is actually the only answer to the philosophical differences we have with pagans. We have with um, atheists and agnostics of our day with the Hawkins of our, of our age. Their pursuit of understanding evil. You know, Hawkins said, uh, uh, I don't know, he made this statement, uh, I don't know that there's any such thing as good, but I'm very sure that there's existence of evil. What he's done by saying that is, there is a moral standard that determines what's good and evil. And who gives that moral standard? God. The very God they don't believe in. See, and God sent His Son into the world to conquer evil. And why would He do that? Why would God do such a thing? Because of His love. What kind of love? 
unmerited love, undeserving love, agape love, sacrificial love, through which we have forgiveness, through which we have freedom, you see, through which we have eternal life. I'm telling you right now that the one alone that is able to give us the best wine is the one alone that can fill an empty heart with love and forgiveness and make that person useful in his kingdom work today. Let's rejoice in that in this lesson. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the sufficiency we have in Christ and, and for the satisfaction that no